Alrighty, welcome to Music Osmosis, where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you as always from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my procussively proficient co-host, calling in all the way from Charm City, Maryland, baby. It's my pal, Odell Norman. Odell, What's welcome. What's going up, on? Let's wrap up the outside down decade. That's it, man. We're getting there. We're getting there. Can you believe it? We've got one more show, and then um, we're kicking 2020 off with episode 100. 100, I know. 100 episodes, man. Goodness gracious. You know you're getting old when you can do 100 of anything. Yes. <laughs> At least with this, you're not. You're not. So I can never like I, I like this is crazy, too. I just celebrated. I put this post up yesterday. I just crossed the threshold where this is the longest I've had a job. I've had this job seven years and 10 months. And I was like, damn, oh, wow. dude, I, I've been with D for 10 years in October. Me and D, our fabulous producer that makes us yes. sound oh, so beautiful for yes, 10 years. I've been at this. God job bless D. God bless D. For eight <laughs> years in March, and I've been in this house for like eight, nine years, whatever it's been, and it's like, man, okay. dude, am I getting old? Like, I am doing the same shit every day. Yeah, getting set in your ways there. Stability, <laughs> man. Stability will kill you, though, right? That that static yeah. lot. Yeah, but, you know, you're not one to, to, to sit in that for a long time, so. No, I'm doing something very stupid this weekend for social media, actually. Uh oh. <laughs> You'll see it. I'm not going to spoil this. Oh, one. boy. Uh oh. <laughs> Looking forward to it now. I want to see this. Yeah, but you know how it is. Like an object that's in motion, you know, but an object at rest will decay. I just don't want to decay, man. I don't ever want to stop. Oh, no. You got to keep You got to keep learning, man. You got to keep living. Yeah, got to keep right. living, as McConaughey says. Did you say Kanye, like Kanye West? Like McConaughey, he says. Oh, oh confused, McConaughey. man. You got to keep, you got to keep living. L-I-V-I-N. <laughs> now, here's, um, here's a personal joke nobody outside of us will get. He would be fabulous at shoe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Did you imagine? All right, all right. Would you with <laughs> People be like, what's going on? <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know how to play shoe, ask all your friends if they've ever played shoe and if they'll they'll teach you how to play. You can only pl- learn to play through someone else who knows how. That's just – it's the nature of shoe. Yeah, that's and it's, a road uh, game, so I don't know if any yeah. like, best game ever – Dude, I brought that game to Southern Maryland from Frostburg, yep. man. <laughs> For any Clark kids out there, if you've ever played Spoons, Shoe is better. Oh, I, Shoe's, oh, shoe's definitely. always better than Spoons. All right, tell everybody what we got coming up in the coming weeks because <sighs> we're recording episode 98 right now, and we're finishing up the year with episode 99. Yes, and we're going to have I a know. year show. B.B. McPherson's calling back in. Um, new albums abound from like everybody. Uh, Haley Rose Dexter. Hannah. Hannah Rose. Sorry. Hannah Rose, yeah. Hannah Haley. She's awesome. She's just awesome. She is <laughs> finally coming out with an album, and I can't. A new album, and I cannot wait to see what she's been doing. Um, it. You know, we've just. Uh, Hannah. Just, um. Bibi's going to be our last guest of the decade. And Ugh. you know how she rolls, dude. I can't wait to see what kind of mad scientist 
like formula yes. she comes up with for our I'm last just episode. I'm crack to stay up for this one. Like, is this going to be like a 16 hour long episode? And I just don't even know. I'm not going to reveal that. At this time. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> oh, boy. No, oh. Kids. don't do it. <laughs> we are going to New York in February to perform in the lovely Katie McKell's um, The Circle of Eyes play at the New York Winterfest. So any of our New York friends out there, please come check us out. Please. We will be there the second week of February, right around Valentine's Day. We are going to oh, be. Oh, wow. It's Valentine's Day. I didn't even think about it. What yeah. are we going to do in New York for Valentine's Are we going to take a carriage ride? Do some We're going to be in fucking New York City. And Rockefeller it's Center. what we do. Dude, I told you. We have to do the NBC studio tour. I have to. I have yeah, to. Oh, man. I did like that. Dave Letterman show or something, too, while we're out there. Oh, yeah. I did that in eighth grade, eighth grade field trip, and we got to see Saturday Night Live, like the, the set, which was really cool because. Um, well, McDonald was taking was, field trips to New York. No, this was uh, middle school, so this was our eighth grade field trip. So it's Matthew Henson, and we uh, we ended up going and we got to see uh, Dana Carvey in um, mm. as the church lady, but we didn't get oh. to we. we yeah, so when we were taking when we were taking the yeah when we were taking the tour they were just wrapping up and the uh, the the tour person was like hey there's Dana Carvey and we were like oh my gosh you know we had just missed them doing the uh, the church lady but it was really cool to see did him. he give him a and hug him. no he was like well we were well up you know just taking the tour of the building and he just they just so happened to be doing their thing down below but he waved and. Did his thing and everything. It was really. Let cool. me show you how weird humans are. One, I share a birthday. We have the same birthday, me and Dana oh, yeah. Carvey. And two, why oh, do wow. I care? Why do you feel connected to a person? And also Jerry Mathers, the Beaver. Me, Dana Carvey, and Jerry <laughs> Mathers. All, all our birthdays are on June second. Why does that make me feel connected to him? Because I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you basically watch. I mean, I know for me, I used to watch. Uh, I share birthdays with Joe Theismann and Telly Savalas. Oh, man. Oh, Telly. Yes, Who loves you, baby? <laughs> My God. So, a um, Greek in the house. Yeah, man. So I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just because you watch him on TV and you see him every week or, heck, for example, Leave it the Beaver was going every day, you know, for us growing up. So the little reruns, I mean, we're not that old, but, you know, that's what you should show all the time. Desperate need to connect, even if it's just by birthday, we need to connect. But then they also yeah. have sickness where they have to divide everybody up into different little boxes that separate us. We are truly True. an anomaly when you think about it. Like we're a walking <laughs> fucking paradox when you think about it. True. Very true. We need to divide and connect. And speaking of divide and connect, are we ready to get tonight's guest in here? Let's Why, do yes. it. Yes, I think so. All righty, tonight's guest is an introspective artist that is pushing boundaries and redefining music. Her debut album, Yummy, dropped on November 8th, and we're excited to talk with her all about her music and get to know her. Musician and writer, Miriam Said, a.k.a. Pool Blood. Miriam, happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you guys as well. Yeah. Um, just a Thank side you. note, listening to you guys talk was really fun. Uh, you guys have oh. such cool, fun banter. <laughs> so that was really interesting. Why? Wow, thank um, you. Yeah. yeah. I can't Appreciate believe we haven't run out of things to talk about. Me and Odell have known each other for, what, 25? Has it been 30 years yet? 94 is when we Yeah, 94. Yeah, that's when we first hung out. 
Yeah, 25 yes. years, man. Whew. Yeah, some vintage Goodness friendship there. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the kind of friendship you find at the thrift store. That's it. <laughs> we are vintage, baby. All right, hey, let's dive in here. And this is something I always like to ask people who call into our show for the first time to give the audience and the listeners some kind of context. Tell us a little bit about you and the real you. Growing up, did you have a support system? I know you've been playing violin from a young age, so I'm assuming you've always been pretty musically interested and uh, proficient. Did you have a good support system growing up and tell people about your art? And just give us like the Reader's Digest version of who <laughs> Pool Blood is, who Miriam said is. Yeah, I. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, I did have I think for me, my support system was definitely through school. So I think for mm. a lot of people around me and a lot of people who I grew up with, um, school is sort of like that place where I got to like see other people play and like meet other people who were into music and things that I, you know, the, the music that I liked, especially. Um, I like loved music growing up and um, growing up, I come from a Somali background, so a lot of my traditional music, or like not traditional music, but sorry, um, ethnic and like cultural music was always playing around in the house. And uh, that was definitely influential in sort of how I started to like gain this like, like dire like relationship with uh, music. And uh, mm-hmm. I started playing guitar when I was 14. And then I sort of gave up for a little bit or like try to focus on school and then got back into it when I was 20 and I was in my first band and we we played shows around Toronto we were pretty bad but um but we we loved doing what we did and like we were kind of like riot girl um inspired inspired and stuff and uh yeah I think for me it's always just been something I've done for a very long time and especially with violin so I was I began sort of in a classical realm and then I was kind of like you know like I feel like everyone who like loves punk is kind of just like yeah and then I hated like reading music and fuck that so I um, picked up a guitar and listened <laughs> to fucking yeah and and I started listening to the clash and stuff and 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 loved bands like that growing up so I think yeah it's I think for me it's it's always been something that I've done for it's always been something that I always go back to no matter how much I've um wanted to because I come from a very traditional family who's like you know you should get a job and like the next thing is like you know very like nuclear and kind of things like that and like I think for me it's it's something that I can't run away from it's something that I just yeah I just have to do so yeah I guess that's kind of the little reader's digest a little yeah um, Wikipedia kind of synopsis beautiful so so so, Marion, with the the fact that I, I I know hearing your sound, it's very um like the guitars are very distorted, a little heavy at times. Where what influences? What? How did you get into that? How did you figure out? Okay, I want uh, a muff and a and a, and a distortion pedal or or whatever to to do this. What 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 type of music were you into uh, growing up to get you influenced like that? Yeah, um, I think for me at the time, um, for when I was around like 16, I was really into like, um, just like, I was really into sort of like new wave. And I also really loved Mm. uh, pop punk, which is kind of like what is um, a lot of the songs kind of have that sort of undertone in that. Um, But that's the essence of where like sort of the, uh, the, um, 
the distortion comes from, but then as well as the fact that I love shoegaze. And I think with shoegaze, it's very uh, loud and very muddy and very noisy in a sense that it just takes this like sort of transcendent sort of realm that kind of, you know, it gives it like, it gives it more space. And I think that's sort of where I wanted a lot of the tracks on this. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So Bands okay, like, you know, like my one, my like, bloody Valentine and those yeah. bands like that. Yeah. Oh man, that's a throwback. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's. Yeah. I, I know for for a band that I was in, uh, it was a shoegaze band. I know the, the the two they were big. My bloody Valentine band. I was like, yeah, you guys play that all day. They get the drummer all kinds of time to do stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, exactly, and like I think. Yeah, and then there was sort of, a, I guess, I think like a couple of years ago, there was sort of this resurgence of like shoegaze, and then it kind of fell mm-hmm. off, and now everyone sort of like has like, you know, shoegaze like elements and sort of is inspired by shoegaze, I think. I can hear it in a lot of like, I guess, like new indie music right now, but gotcha. it's, it's yeah. Like shoegaze, yeah, it's important, <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> So uh, me and Odell, we're in our mid to late 40s. As somebody who's a gen, gee, probably two generations behind us, how like there's you you live in such a different reality we lived in. We were like plastering flyers on poles, and we didn't have the internet to access when we were playing in the early 90s. How like when you go out today? One, being from Canada, is the end game always to get to America and make music, and two. We were just talking with James Alex from Beachling about this. Like, how do you navigate the perils of social media? And I noticed you don't have a whole lot of social media out there. And I feel like people mm-hmm. are starting to shy away from social media because it is such a viper's pit. Yeah, I, that is a very interesting question. I think, like you said, yeah, it is different to be from, like, Canada, especially because touring in Canada is a little bit different than touring in the U.S. where there's so Mm -hmm. much more opportunities, I think. Um, But in regards to social media, I think that's very true. I think I use social media quite often to be quite, uh, um, like, serious about it just because I really love Twitter and I love Twitter culture. Um, Right, right. I was going to say, you're on Twitter, but I don't really see you on Facebook. and Not on Facebook, yeah. I think Facebook sort of fell off. I think for my generation uh, specifically, I think people sort of just started to like follow. I think Facebook's very traditional and in its its sense that you can, you know, you post photos of like things like, you know, your family, your friends, very generic, very, I think, socially acceptable things. Whereas on Twitter, there's like this, like there's banter, there's like outrageous like meme memes out there. It's like a very heavy based meme culture. Um, there's a lot of you know. Oh, I belong to a couple dank like, meme groups on Facebook. There's memes on Facebook. Oh yeah, there's memes on Facebook for sure. I think it just, I I don't know. I think there's a bad rep with Facebook right now, especially revolving like Marcus Zuckerberg and stuff, and everyone's sort of moralistic True. and stuff. And it's like Twitter's more, you know, there's there's more freedom, and it's not as you know, like it's not it's it's radical to be a Twitter person and stuff. But I think Twitter's funny too in a sense that like I think it's fun to just see you can you tweet dumb shit and everyone's just kind of like. Oh yeah, I I feel that too, or like I get that, and like like I I like like for uh for instance like today I tweeted, um I might have to go back on my Twitter actually, but I tweeted something really ridiculous. Yes, I tweeted about how 
um, I feel more closer to kids who were who were emo than to kids who were indie, and everyone just like kind of related on that. And so like sure. I can't post that on in Facebook because my family is like what the fuck is emo or like what the fuck is emo? <laughs> <laughs> I am horrible like at Twitter. I have 10,000 Like trust Twitter me, emo followers. is the safest yeah, emo is the safest thing possible. Mom yeah. and dad, yeah. you're you're okay. <laughs> I know, I know, but no one that connection, you know? Like it wouldn't we wouldn't no. have that like, yeah, it, they just wouldn't, and, it's, it's, and ultimately, it's a very much of it's a joke. So it would be like my parents or my family members going, "What? What do you mean? Can you explain that? Is honey, is someone hurting you? Why don't you feel safe? Oh, what, what's wrong? Why are you tweeting that? Yeah, or like uh, Facebook. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I have a Twitter that used to be for our old political podcast. So we have like ten thousand followers on there, and I changed it once okay. ignorance equation went away. I just changed it to Nick Katsouris because I was. You know, that was my product, my brand, I should right. say. And I don't get yeah. – I don't go on Twitter that often, but when I do tweet something, like 30 people see it out of 10,000. And I'm like, I don't get this site, dude. I get no yeah. interaction on Twitter. It's, it's it's a lot to do with retweeting a lot of funny things. I think that's how a lot of people also have gained a lot of like notoriety or like fame or in like a weird funny ways. Like a lot of people will be like a Twitter that's just dedicated. Like for instance, in 2014, there was a lot of Twitters dedicated to just like retweeting really funny, obscured like tweets. And so you would follow them instead of following these individual accounts that they were tweeting from. So you could just sort of like, two for one shampoo tweet like like an account that just had everything that you could just access that was funny and yeah no it yeah <laughs> just, twitter is I, my greatest I, failure I, d yeah d <laughs> do you remember a couple years ago on fourth of july i was like dude let's tweet out and this is back when it was 140 characters i was like let's tweet out the Declaration of Independence, 140 characters at a time, and it's going to yep. fucking take. And nobody liked anything. We did like 37 <laughs> tweets to get that whole preamble in there, and yep. fucking nothing. And I was like, man, wow. dude, I suck at Twitter. But it was I funny. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I think it would be different if you did that today. I think I would like that. I would definitely yeah. like that. Well, I follow yeah. you, so I just started following you, and I was checking your stuff out, and I was like, man, this generation has such a better grasp on the Twitterverse than I do. But, I mean, if Donald <laughs> Trump could get the hang of it, and he sucks as a human on 15 oh, different inception levels, if he can fucking do Twitter, what does it say that I can't do Twitter? My God. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but that's all he does. Yeah, that's but that's it. all he does on Twitter. <laughs> that's his yeah. only way to express himself. <laughs> all right, let's kind of shift gears here. I want to talk about your album, Yummy. I want to talk about you working yes. with Accidental Pop Star Records and Shamir and how this all came about and what it means to you, because I know this has to be an exciting collaboration for you. Yeah, um, it means like the entire world and more. I mean, it was such a great opportunity to sort of you know, um, meet Shamir for the first time as well. But I mean, sorry, for the second time, but also be able to record and create something that like was so special to me. Um, I put out my first EP of, like two years ago and I remember a friend of mine sort of uh, sent it to him and was sort of like, hey, uh, check out this artist and stuff. And then we started talking over like Twitter and we follow each other, me and Shamir. And then um, we ended up, uh, he ended up telling me he was going to be back home in Philly for a little bit and that I should visit. And then I kind of just 
brought up the idea of like, hey, I, I have a couple of songs and like, I kind of want to hopefully make like an EP. And he was super down for it. And at the time, it, it was very much good timing because he was starting this label and he had a couple of other artists as well lined up. And he was just looking for, uh, you know, for more artists. And it was, and I'm so happy to be included in this roster because there's so many great artists as well. But uh, yeah, so I went to Philly for a couple of days, um, literally three days. And uh, the time that it happened, it was also very interesting because I was all, I lost my job the first day that I got there. So there was a lot oh, wow. of like, yeah, I was like very, very um, anxiety ridden. And there was a lot of like stress and stuff, but we were able to sort of make um, this EP um, amongst all that, you know, that very like, hardship that I was going through and I I was really happy because um we just understood each other in a very I've played with a lot of musicians in the past and I've met a lot of people who are really great and talented but I've never connected with them in a musical sort of like way and with Shamiri was just so natural and it was fun and it was effortless and there was just so much laughter and yeah it was just such a great time and we recorded literally up until i left for toronto to come wow. back to toronto and like it was an hour wow so yeah that, that was crazy yeah and uh then it came about and uh yeah and then we just i ended up it was a product and i was so happy of it um when it, when he finally sent me the mix uh the final masterings of it and yeah, it was such a, it was very much a learning experience too, to learn that I can do things under pressure as well and make a record under three days. So, yeah. Do you think that, do you think that uh, the fact that you were going through so much sort of gave you a, a, a focus? Like, okay, I'm here. Let me dive completely into this to, to, you know, get my mind off of what was going on at home. Interestingly enough, it didn't though. I think a lot of people have asked me that too as well. And I feel like when I'm under stress, I literally just want to sleep or like not exist in that, like whatever's for, like just sleep and not have to like live kind of thing or like do things because I'm so nervous or like, or more, more like I want to fix the problem as fast as I can. And I think that's what I was trying to do as well when I was recording, but there was like a moment the second day of recording where Shamir was kind of like, you know what, we are in a mode where we're making stuff. This is really important. This is what your heart is going into. This is like who gotcha. you are and like, this is your music and stuff. And so I remember like being able to hone that in and sort of, you know, um, yeah. And sort of like, uh, like, let go of, yeah, a lot of the anxieties. And so it was sort of like, it was like, it. it was sort of like medicine. It was sort of like a medicine, like an antidote to, to yeah, to uh yeah. it's funny you said uh when <laughs> it's funny you said uh you know when i get stressed out or bummed depressed bummed out or whatever i feel like i want to sleep and all i can picture i don't know if you watch it is the show big mouth on uh, yeah. netflix and there's and there's the one cat the depression kitty that comes out and it's like oh come on sweetie just go and lay down and wraps a big tail around it. oh my god yeah i think i literally probably am the physical embodiment of that cat yeah no that's literally yeah. i think there's something about just sleeping it away and i know that's bad because that's a really bad thing when you have depression you should be able to get up and like you know get your mind off of things and like start to do something productive but like sleep is yeah. just so sweet it's yeah yeah yes. get enough of it, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the ultimate it's, escapism nick knows yeah. because he's dealt with me for the last decade and i am a person who's lived with depression for decades it, there's just mm -hmm. some days where i'm just like i don't want to exist today i just want to yeah. like 
Well, I'm glad that's Give me my phone, give me my tablet, and give me some food. Because I remember, like, in the 90s. (laughs) Starting to. If you were depressed in the 90s, people were like, come on, just fuck up, little camper, and get over it. And I'm like, no, but you don't say get over, like, heart disease. This is a fucking organ in my body that's malfunctioning. You don't just get over a a malfunctioning organ in your fucking body. Your brain is an organ like your heart or your liver is or your spleen is. And I'm glad that people are finally starting to see that because in the 90s it was just like, especially with our parents, right, Odell? Like my dad is like a big conservative John Wayne, like grab himself up by the – bootstraps and it's like if i'm sad it's just like well walk it off just walk it off yeah. sissy no. and yeah, you, <laughs> yeah like, i don't know how we went down this rabbit hole i just remember those days and i'm like yeah. so yeah. glad those days are over. Yeah. thank god we're in 2019 and people are like understanding mental health now because it's so oh different. yeah i don't even know how i would exist if people were it's it's very difficult like hearing that that have happened in the 90s like that's really sad because you know we've lost I think when I think of that is why I think about like how we've lost a lot of great artists because of that and oh right yeah now, yeah we, well I tell you how I dealt with it I was in a metal band and I wrote like 12 songs about the devil it's like all right <laughs> and I just, I'm pissed <laughs> off I'll just write 12 songs about Satan then haha that is definitely one outlet that's definitely one outlet and and i transitioned into the punk world and i started dealing with things in a more healthy way i I, i'm Mm -hmm. exaggerating of course but i would write metal songs (laughs) and just be like the body's on the field and like some kind of slayer bullshit that like meant nothing but that's how you dealt with it back then because everybody was telling you to just walk it off like you were weak especially if you're a dude like you're weak if you like have any Mm -hmm. sad feelings you know and i'm just Mm -hmm. glad that we're evolving to a point now where heart disease and some kind of chemical imbalance can be seen in the same medical terms yeah very true true. you can snap yourself out of yeah that's true that's true that's so great to hear (laughs) So let's let's talk some more music. I'm going to play some Sorry, and I was interested because it was like, so you had this song Sorry, you had released mm-hmm. it previously, you kind of revamped it and modernized it to put it on Yummy, When and you said you wrote this song in like 10 minutes. What is the staying power of this song where you just didn't want to scrap it and not put it on the new album? Yeah, um, I think... This song, I think for me, meant very, it it was very close to me. It was written about a close person in my life and someone who I still love. And I think it, for me, when I first first wrote it, I knew that I wanted to take it further and I knew I wanted to do more things with it. But at the time, I didn't really have the, I didn't have access to all these like elements, other like embellishing elements that I did for it in yummy. So I sort of just like, you know, cause my first record, my first EP, it was very much like just recordings I made on my iPhone and sort of just uh, put it together and sort of wanted people to listen to, to have some sort of like, um, context some of who of you are. Context. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Making this record, it's making, um, I'm sorry. And making it a full embellished sort of like, ballad I think it was important for me to have that to be its final sort of say and its final uh, um kind of closure in a sense and yeah it's 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 one of those songs that like a lot of people have said it's a very early 2000s-esque song which has been very very um like that's a really great compliment to get because I think I was heavily 
into um, like early 2000s pop radio songs for a little bit. So that's okay. That was great. Yeah. So how yeah. does it feel today when you go back and listen to that versus the earlier version? Do you kind of cringe at the earlier versions and go, this is finally a production of what was in my mind. I can finally put it out there as it was meant to be. Or do, are you endeared to the earlier version of like, hey, this was the seed. This was the inception. Yeah, actually, I I really enjoyed the ver- the first version of it because it was sort of um, the way I, I it was sort of the way I first envisioned it as well. And then I sort of wanted to embellish it. But I usually actually when I play shows, I play the first version. I, I've played, sorry, the last couple of times I've played, I've played the first version of I'm Sorry Live more. Um, just because I think there's this sort of like vulnerability that is kind of more present in the first version than it is in the second. And um, it's also so, it's nice to just also have that sort of difference when you're playing shows and, and have That's that. That's interesting. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like production quality can get in the way of emotional connection with the audience? I mean, it depends. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, I've always loved seeing like artists strip down um, their songs. I've loved acoustic sessions. Like that has been like I growing up, I used to like watch like like a bunch of like um, stripped versions of like you know Paramore songs or like songs from. Uh, I'm kind of blanking now. Um, like even when I watch like small sets of like Elliot Smith doing some of his stuff it's it's really nice to just see like um an artist with just one instrument and a voice it's it's sort of humbling and but with production value I think it allows people to see this like grand tuisque like um sort of beautiful like vast uh, um, version of the song that you you didn't think that it could become, and it, mm-hmm. it allows for more room, I guess, too. But yeah, I think I'm kind of rambling. What <laughs> so. you? No, we love rambling here. Trust me. But mm-hmm. Odell, you could suffer from accessibility, right? It's what Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister calls the um, beautiful diamond theory, or whatever, where you have like yeah. this yeah. beautiful diamond, and you're the only one who knows about it. And then once you share it right. with people then it doesn't mean as much because then everybody's like, oh, well, that beautiful diamond kicks ass. Like, it's so hard to thread that needle between I want to get this out everywhere and I want everybody to be all-inclusive and in on it to, well, now everybody's in on it and it's kind of mainstream and now it doesn't mean as much because it's it's not inclusive to a group of people that were the outsiders or were the people that were feeling pain in a different way than these people over here. Now it's kind of been mass produced. Yeah. Well, that's, well, you know, but on, on the flip side of that, when, when it's, uh, for example, uh, the song green day did years ago, you remember it was played at the end of Seinfeld, the acoustic one that they did. And, um, and so many people associate like, you know, when they heard that song, they were like, wow, that's a totally different song. I wasn't expecting that from a band like Green Day, even though, um, you know, I remember, I'll never forget, I read an article where Billy Joe Armstrong said that um, every, you know, every, the majority of great songs are written on a, an acoustic guitar. He's like, he's like, I don't know too many songs that haven't been written on acoustic guitar that are, are great. Yeah. And, and I think what happens is, is that when you write a song that, you know, touches somebody or touches something, we as human beings, I don't care if you're whatever background you have, whatever feelings you have, I don't know if if you're punk rock or jock, whatever, it doesn't matter. If there's something in a song that pulls something out of you, that's just the commonality I think that we have as human beings too, that, 
music can be that powerful where like you were saying, you could be on stage, especially somebody that does solo stuff. Like I, I was a huge Elliot Smith fan. And yeah. when you watched him live or when you watched a person like Jeff Buckley live and you see like that emotion or in, in, in the, in the, in the, and especially in Elliot Smith, the pain, you're just like, man, you know, I, you, you must not have a soul if you can't see or feel what that person is going through, or at least acknowledge that something is going on there because when they put that all out there like that on the line and then do it in front of people. And even for Elliot Smith, who had, you know, he was successful, even though he didn't want to be, I don't think he ever wanted to be at that level. But when like Miss Misery came out, Oh my gosh, people were like, I don't even know who this guy is, but that song yeah. is the, the most tragically glorious song I've ever heard in my life. And it hits some heartstrings. It's it's pretty incredible to realize that wow, we actually have a lot in common <laughs> as as a human race. That you know that something like that can reach so many people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's very beautiful. I think that's exactly how I feel about music. I think that's how I've always sort of viewed music and how I I want to go forward with music is that there has to be the sort of connection. I think we, especially, I think over the course of human history in, in general but also right now we live in such like very sort of dire kind of detrimental times and I think music is very important right now in a way that it helps people it relieves a lot of stress from people and it's mm -hmm. important to have some sort of you know I think art in general right now is really important it it is oh boy of, yes like you know letting amen people, right it's letting people you know you, you go to like you know like there's this great thing that like I'm sorry I'm such a Haley Williams fan I love Paramore but like hearing her talk about um like when you when I saw her live at least um she said how like you know you go to work you go to work from nine to five and then you come here to relieve your stress and that's what music should be about is to you know just release all that anger from work or to release all that like you know stress and all that stuff that you have to go through um your daily through your daily life so I think that's I think that's what's so important. I think that's like the pure essence of like, you know, music, I think. And that is so my yeah. philosophy. I used to have a political panel show called The Ignorance Equation. I wrote for a lot of political sites and stuff. And things got so hateful and so toxic. I was like, okay, there's no more movement to be made here. And since I love music, that's my roots. I started doing things with a kettle of fish podcast, which was comedians and stuff. I started doing things with music. And I'm like, you know, I'm into what I call weaponized creativity. I'm into yeah. like nothing is more dangerous to fascism than art. Like art yeah, is the last completely. bastion of defense against fascism. So I yeah. am just going to put out so much beauty, so much like things that to kind of pull people away from the misery of what's going on in this country right now. And I am just and you know and part of me is like, is that a cop out? Should I be? Because I'm a slugger by heart. I can't stand a bully, and I'd rather fight a bully in the street than retreat. So is that kind of a cop out that I'm doing that? But I was like. There's the war is fought in different fronts, and I truly believe the best place at this point in my life to be emotionally, spiritually, whatever, is to engage in weaponized creativity and just put all the good out there. And I think you can reach people in an artistic way that you can't reach when you're like, hey, listen to me, I'm on a soapbox and I got a political. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. And and I I also just really love how. You, you, you people, like like you said, people, you weaponize um, creativity and you can also use that in a way to critique whatever's happening in our modern times. And I think 
about um, Hail to the Thief by Radiohead, which was um, yes. sort of a take on, you know, 2001 and the Bush election and the administration at the time. And I think about how, how important and how radical that was in a sense that, like, you could be on mainstream media and still, ha- and still have a voice and still be able to ha- carry this very like it's kind of like a martyr in a sense and like I think that's also important too is that like a lot of people now are also making music like for um against you know a a lot of the narratives and the narratives with that in like the conservative the conservative right-wing narratives and stuff like that I think Mm -hmm. that's also one way to sort of like you know combat that so I think yeah I think music's important I think music and it can get into places that traditional speech can't and Odell you know Chris Burson right I remember years ago and Chris Burson is kind of a bigoted type of guy and I haven't talked to him recently but I remember when we used to hang out with him he I would play him some propaganda and he loved it and I was like, hey, man, you know, like the singer is gay and this is what the lyrics check out the lyrics. And he's like, holy shit, because he at that time, I don't know how he feels today, hated gay people or at least had a problem mm-hmm. with it. And it kind of softened him a little bit because he's like, well, dude, like this, like I think this band's badass. And if they're putting this out and the singer's gay, then it kind of pulls down those walls a little bit that I put up that I don't like this group of people or that group of people. So I think art and comedy and any kind of form of music entertainment can seep into places where if you're just coming out with somebody with a bunch of facts, facts, who the fuck wants to hear facts, right? With a bunch of facts <laughs> that yeah. they're going to kind of just kind of throw those defenses up. And, you know, like something like South Park beautifully gets infects people and they're like, like on the back end, they go, wait, wait, that episode was kind of about this. And like, I would like, if somebody said that to me, I'd be mad. But watching it in a humorous way on South Park, I just kind of feel like it really softens people. And that's somewhere that mm-hmm. art can go to combat fascism that I don't think the traditional, it's like from the Deadwood movie. Like, have you ever seen a problem you didn't go directly at? And I've really had to learn mm-hmm. not to go directly at problems over the last couple of years. Yep. It's new alt side down world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So true. Yeah, art is is so important. Art is so good. Music's so good. It's a pretty gar- like pretty darn good time when you're listening to it or when you're making. It is. It is. It, <laughs> it is fun. Like, cause I'm I'm at that like, you know, Nick and I have kids. So my son, he's ten. And he's he's actually, you know, playing. He's learning how to play acoustic guitar, and he's and he's singing, and he's like singing in a choir and all that stuff. But it's fun to like. I'm at that age now where I can play him stuff. And be like, and he's like, oh yeah, dad, I like that. Oh, hey, dad, can you play that Caribou cool. song? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. I'll play that for you in a heartbeat. Here, listen to this. Or like, you know, because I drive him to school and stuff. So it's like, it's a fun time because there's so much out there, and it's just like, and I and I tell him that I'm like, music is so awesome, dude, because there's just so much out there, and you can't get enough of it. And yeah, all the guys it, are saying yeah. music sucks today. They're just they're lazy. They're not looking because there's so much great yeah. music out right now. I just feel so like much great music. Lazy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's so incredible. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, ten year when I was ten, I think that's when I started to really think about music and really started to understand that like this was something that is like you know something I loved, but also something that I could probably do and something that hey, it's not just a hobby. It's like an actual, you know, career too. So, uh, yeah, it's great to know that, you know, that you're. All right, well, let's play some sorry and then start wrapping this up. 
All right, now that everybody is feeling good, let's kind of shift gears here. We are talking with Miriam Said from Pool Blood. Miriam, I want to talk about, since you are a generation, maybe even two generations behind us, I want to talk about how this kind of toxic, partisan, polarized age we're living in, how does that affect your art? And and how do you hold on? I always say I don't understand how anybody under 30 hasn't gone fucking children in the corn on us yet. Like anybody over 30 has like, fuck this planet up. You've got to deal with climate change. You have to deal with this insane income disparity and all of these problems, all, like this whole alt-right movement rising all over the world with Brexit here in America. How do you stay optimistic and how does that funnel into your music? How does the current political system help you create or impact your creating? Yeah, I... Uh... That's really interesting, too, because I think about how everyone's like, yeah, in the next 10 or 15 years, we won't be alive. And it's really sad because I'm like, well, there's a lot of, you know, people of color and black kids and, you know, gay kids who are now in the scene and now we don't get to thrive. Mm-hmm. That's kind of shitty. <laughs> um, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I but I also think it's important to also for, for me, at least I write in a very personal sort of um, I write through personal experiences and stuff that's happened but I think for my next record which I'm currently working on I'm definitely putting in a lot of work into um sort of critiquing and maybe even like um having some sort of dialogue about the way that the way that I make music in our current time and how um that affects me and how I think I think I want to also talk about the way that I'm placed in music in a sense because I am a I am non-binary but I also still am a black dummy and I but let me interject real quick on that because I feel like there's two types of people left on this planet right there's the people who see the Star Trek world where everything like this homogeny of everybody working together there's no economic system people are just trying to be their best selves nobody's focused on race or or any kind of gender or any kind of sexuality and everybody's just out there working together for the betterment of all mankind and i feel like there's people that look at that and are like socialism uh screw those liberals and then there's the people who are like oh man that's awesome i can't wait for the star trek world to hit and then you have these other cats are like i want to live in a walking dead world where my gun decides everything and the guy with the biggest gun and it's like fucking chaos everywhere and i just scratch my head and go why would – like, we were at the um, Punk and Drublick show in Ohio two summers ago, and mm-hmm. I looked at Dee, and Pennywise is on, and they had just got done doing Broheem, which is this song, this, like, really unifying song. And everybody's, like, holding hands and going, oh, singing about one of his buddies who had passed. And I said, Dee, you realize right up the road, 20 minutes up the road, there's a fucking Trump rally. And while we're all hugging and singing this beautiful song, there's a group of people Mm -hmm. like, "Ah, lock her up, lock her up, send them back. And I'm like, who the fuck would want to be over there when they could be over here? And I just find myself in this new world, scratching my head a lot, trying to figure out who would want to be over in that like cesspool of hate and fear instead of over here, like kicking ass and having a good time. Yeah, exactly. And I think I also, yeah, no, it's really, it's really terrifying to sort of have to be in like a place like that. But I also think, and and again, I think, yes, I want to critique that, but I also want to just celebrate, you know, the fact that there is 
like more people who look like me and for more people who uh, like identify the same way I identify and also hearing their experiences and stories through their music. I think there's been so much great work through like nice. people like Mitski and uh, Japanese breakfast and, and, uh, yes. and people yes. like Vigabond and pale hound who are just really great musicians who, you know, also talk about their experiences, but are so brave and just, you know, are so authentically themselves and create these, you know, great, records that sort of just showcase that and i think that's another form of rebellion as well is you know existence is um resistance so i think that's i think that's another way that i think i'm trying to look at it and sort of you know not end up in a very dark spiraling hole and not being able to create anything anymore so yeah and what you say is important too because we just had ellen on the show from pale hound a couple months ago and every time I talk yeah. to people from the generation behind me or beyond. It's like, man, dude, I've really got to push myself out of these boxes and these preconceived notions. I mean, it's always surprising to me when you have these dudes who don't want to evolve, but then they equally get mad the world's passing them by. That the world's like, passing them by, exactly. Right, it's like, dude, if you're getting mad the world's passing you by, then fucking evolve. Things are never yeah. going to stay static. And they just they don't want it. They just want to stand in place, but then they're getting mad that everything's passing them by. So I appreciate mm-hmm. any kind of learning opportunity. And it, it's mm-hmm. always baffling. Once again, why do you want to be at the Trump rally up the street when you could be here, like, drinking beer and being with friends and singing along? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's really crazy. I think, yeah, we live in such a scary time. But, you know, there's so much great music, so I think, and so much great art and so much great films as, as well and just, just really great creative people who've come out of this and, I think it's it's unfortunate that it had to be at this time, but I think it's really important as, at the same time, and it's it's good. It's it's a lot of beautiful stuff, and I mean, and it will save like, us. Yeah, it yeah, gives you exactly. a lot. It does. It it does. It gives you a lot of hope. It it it, it it's the same way. Like I I'm I'm a history major, and um and I always tell like <laughs> you know people yeah. yeah cool see and I'm like history. Uh, the world in history, it always repeats itself. It may be a little different, but, you know, you come out of the civil rights movement, the best music came out of that time. I'm not going to lie. I don't care who it was from, overseas, uh, here in the States, it was just this heartfelt music that came out because people were like, no, we're not going to stand for that. And and you can say what you want or do what you want, but we're not going to stand for that. And and, And it came out in art. It came out in music. It came out in movies. And, um, and I think that's that same thing that's going on now. There's just so much being being myself being African American and, and, and playing in, 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 in punk bands and playing in uh heavier like shoegaze bands and things of that nature. I always my parents were always the type that always want us to push those boundaries. Remember living in our neighborhood that we lived in, we were the you know, the first black family to live in our neighborhood. We were one of two black families that went to the church that we went to. And it was always this thing. And it was just like this narrative. And it was, you know, my parents were always like, never stand still, never just take it. You know, why can't Mm -hmm. you do this? Why can't you be this? Why can't you do that? There's nothing in this world that says you can't do that. And so why pigeonhole yourself? And I think that's what's happening now. You see it in so much music and art. All, I mean, I'm talking about all the way from whatever genre of music you're talking about. And and I think it's great. I love it. it, it it's like giving me like new life uh, as far as when it comes to music, because 
like Nick said, we could easily be like, ah, there's nothing really out there, but you know, I, but this I is where people will down it. millennials and Generation Z or Zoomers or whatever they're calling them now. And I took my <laughs> daughter up to a college orientation, and there was a kid working one of the stands. And I said, like, this is this is in this in, so interesting to me. It's fascinating to me. Like when I was 18, 19, 20, the only thing that was expected of me was like, don't wreck the Trans Am and don't get anybody pregnant. And now I'm <laughs> looking at people half my age or younger and going fucking save us we fucked it all up save the planet save the country and it's like how do kids today deal with the crushing pressure of knowing that you have to unfuck the years of like especially boomers like fucking stuff up so critically there was no expectation on me when i was little except to get a good job and don't get anybody pregnant before i get married and now you guys have this huge expectation of you're going to have to come back and fix all our mistakes. And I just can't yeah. imagine what it's like to be in that space. We're using paper straws because of you guys. It is, yeah, it's, it is sad. I think, yeah, I, I try not to think about it, but I, I think I, I try to do my best, you know, reusable bottles, uh, trying to limit my carbon print. I think it's, it's it is very hard right now, but but there's good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff, you know, like really oh, good yeah. records oh, yeah. that are coming out that you you know you get to listen to, and you know, like for me, Wise Blood's record was like one of the best records I think this year, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just like yeah, just I think like focusing on the good instead of the bad, but it is sad, and I, I think we do have to sort of you know um, come all together and sort of figure out ways but it also doesn't help because we have like countries and nation leaders who are you know the ones who are ultimately have the the tools and can help and you know create this change so it's very hard to you know put all the pressure on us and the and the you know the paper straws and stuff and you know stuff like that so i think there's there's a greater (laughs) picture but yeah 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 yeah, no for sure yeah i mean i just have to hope people Lead by example, and then other people want to follow. Exactly. All right, let's start wrapping this up. Um, We're going into a new decade. Please tell us what you want people to know. And, I mean, you make a lot of good points. I mean, music is a lifesaver. Even back in my high school days, before a thing called emo existed, I I grew up in a very turbulent, um, chaotic, toxic household with like very, my mom had mental health issues. My dad was very abusive. And I remember listening to suicidal tendencies and being like, man, like how I laugh tomorrow when I can't even smile today and connecting to that in a way, a normal person, whatever that means probably wouldn't. And here we are today, still trying to make those same connections with people. Like we're going into a new decade. Are you feeling optimistic? And what do you think people should know, especially artists as we journey into this brave new world? Yeah. Oh, before I get into the question, I, I love Suicidal Tendencies. I think they're an incredible band. Um, I really love 90s music, first off. Sorry, just a little tangent. But I love Bad Brains and I love Rage Against the Machine and Smashing Pumpkins. Nine and Inch all Nails. All the alternative, right. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. Um, I love all the alternative 90s bands. I think they very much paved the way for everyone who's making anything today. I think any artist in the 90s definitely... Um, a lot of us right now have an O2 or, or like, you know, we are very much saluting them. Um, I think, yeah, like, and going into the next question, sorry. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if we're, I want to be optimistic. I definitely think that we are, I think we've come a long way and I think the internet has helped a lot. And I think a lot of people now have access to information like that we didn't have 20 years ago. You know, the internet now is about to hit 25 years old, I think, or is it 23? Whoa, I'm not sure. So. But yeah, that's yeah, crazy. That's right. yeah. and, and I think that is so helpful in a sense that we have all these outlets right now that are like we have the internet as a really grand outlet to sort of allow us to have all this information about what's happening about what's happening in every corner sort of in the world and i think Mm -hmm. there's tiny groups and people are able to also organize without having to organize in a way that was you know the same way that we organized back in like the in the 90s for an instance and stuff um people can do it online now and, and people flourish and now we have like hashtags and we have movements that begin online and stuff so I think it is I think there is a lot of work that's being produced that uh, people are doing to combat a lot of the negative stuff that's happening in the world. I think with the environment, it's really, really dire. It's really scary. Like I think a couple of days ago, I read a, a statistic that said it was only like 17 months before a lot of the stuff that we've done to the earth is irreversible. So that's terrifying. But I guess mm-hmm. there's hope that we might go into another planet. Are we, like, blasting off? I don't know. Um, well, so, if it is, it'll be a bunch of rich Mars, assholes. You know. I won't be on the space lifeboat, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it is terrifying to think of. But I hope the, the, the last hurrah and the last ride we have in here, uh, we have on this planet, is, like, really good. Not to get morbid or anything, but I hope it's filled with a lot of hope and not hope but i mean it is the last hurrah but like a lot of good stuff like creative stuff that has sort of um came that has come about sort of from that so i don't know well let's end on an optimistic point to kind of chill my cold cynical heart and ask everybody (laughs) where we can find you online and what you've got coming up for the next few months heading into 2020 yeah, for sure. Um, I'm on Instagram and I'm on uh, Twitter. I go by Pool Blood. Both of them are uh, with five O's, unfortunately, and in between the uh, for the blood word. Um, and gotcha. uh, yeah, for the next couple of months, I will probably be recording. Hopefully, um, I'm currently working on my first debut, um, so hopefully that will come out sometime next year, maybe or next next year. I'm not sure, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I hope to, yeah, hopefully that's, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm really excited. So me and Shamir are like, awesome. um, back at it again kind of thing. So that's great. Right on. Well, my hat's off. That to is you, awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. Like kids are so inspiring today. I remember like I had nothing and that's another thing. I'm going to make my last old man comment here. When I was oh, growing boy. up. My dad, like, drank martinis and listened to Smother Brothers and Grand Funk Railroad and wore, like, these weird sequins, like, button-up shirts with butterfly collars. And, like, I had nothing in common with them. And now I feel like mm-hmm. my daughter has a lot in common with me. We watch the same movies, like, listen to the same types of music. And I'm, I'm just – I'm so glad – I don't understand a break where my dad, who's well into his 70s now – like, I don't understand that break where my generation was totally foreign to my parents' generation. And that's not just me. I would say it's safe to say, right, Odell? I mean, you and, like, your parents were listening to The Descendants, right, Odell? No, no, but, uh, no, my parents were, you know, the um, Motown, um, 
And you could appreciate that, but you guys weren't going yeah. to the same shows together. And I mean, I'm glad to I see I mean, my dad and I, we did when we oh, were really? younger. Yeah, he, he took me to my first first hip-hop show. Because, um, you know, I mean, at that time, you know, hip-hop, it came out in the late 70s, early 80s. So there were still some artists mm-hmm. that he dug that um, that we went and saw. But Dad, definitely, he was big into music. So, But definitely no punk shows or anything of that nature. If that's right, and when like I that. see people kind of like, <laughs> like shit all over millennials or Generation Z or iGen I or whatever... It just really makes yeah. me angry because, but it also makes me hopeful because there's so many people my age that are like, "Hey, man, like your generation." Like I always say it too, whenever this comes up on Facebook, I'm like, "Like my daughter's generation, who's 14 now, is so much more respectful, and so much more <laughs> on point, and so much more sharp than I was." Like my generation, I was just like listening to metal bands and like bumming around my neighborhood, like at bonfires, getting drunk. And I didn't care about shit and I didn't know about shit. And your generation is like so much more in tune. And I just have a lot of respect. And I think we're seeing this kind of turn. And and some people in my generation are fighting it. But I think we're seeing this turn where people are going, you know what? The next generation is the future. It's not like your music yeah. sucks and your entertainment sucks and your ideas yeah, suck. Definitely. And the way you choose to live your life sucks. We're seeing less and less than that, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to see your generation is facilitating that. Yeah, completely. I think, again, I think it's a lot to do with the internet, actually, just because I feel like a lot of us kind of grew up on the internet, and we had mm-hmm. sort of this access to these online communities, and I think... For me, again, like I, I learned a lot about music and I learned a lot about how to play and I've made friends because of music through the internet. And I think the internet became this very pivotal, important, sorry, tool for me to sort of under, understand and also just learn more about music. And I think right even today, I think a lot of that kindness and niceness that like, you know, children have and like kids who are younger than me or even my generation is because of, you know, people's like sort of you know, there's like articles being written, there's a lot of like, you know, books to access through the internet stuff. And like, I feel like I'm being yep. sponsored by the internet, but I'm not. Sponsored <laughs> <by the internet laughs> not also but am I, I a client I of the internet. internet. I'm the a, a user. Yeah. And, uh, like, <laughs> buy the internet That's awesome. for forty nine ninety nine. you know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Adele, take us home here because we got to get out of here. Yeah, no, I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, yes, please. One Your as, generation's as, gonna as, save us. And this is my personal bias as as uh, uh, not only as a woman, but as a woman of color, um, and yeah. being a man of color. I know the roadblocks that have been out there, and 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 what it takes, and and and, and especially right now when you have a lot of rise of a lot of hate and a lot of people divisiveness especially on the internet you know being that you know you know where i'm going with that so just keep 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 doing the good fight and keep putting out great music what you're doing and um no it's awesome and i'm so happy to have you on the show tonight keep engaging in weaponized creativity you are the future yeah yeah I will definitely weaponize creativity thank you guys so much this has been such a pleasure it's amazing to like be able to talk and stuff yeah thank right you on. thank you all righty happy holidays all we'll be back in a couple weeks yeah. with our i can't believe i'm saying this this makes me feel old i feel like i'm saying my 99th birthday by saying this 
our 99th <laughs> episode. And then we Woo! kick off. Can you believe growing up in the 80s? And one conversation me and all our friends used to have in the 80s is like, what do you think the year 2000 is going to be like? We could, our heads would explode. <laughs> And we ever even tried Hold to think my beer. 2020. <laughs> and I, yeah, that's another thing, dude. At 48, when I was 16, I thought at 48, I would literally like be with a walker, like, oh, these kids today. And <laughs> like, I'm, this is, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm 100% like vibrant and energetic as I was when I was 22, but I'm still right. pretty similar. Like, the game's not over yet. <laughs> you know? Nope. So it's like, nope. it's weird 2020 kicking off with our one. Hundred, we've talked to and we've had shows with multiple guests. Odell, me and you have interviewed just on the music show, well over a hundred people. How insane is that? Yeah, that's pretty great, man. I, and I, like I said, it it's awesome. It's awesome when we get to talk to people like, you know, people that we grew up listening to, all the way to people that are are doing it now that you know are young and just getting into it and and have a it's bright a good future. Balance, it's it's awesome. Right? Like yeah, it is. It really, really is. Tell me a story sandwich. Tell me something positive that happened. Tell me something not so positive that happened in your day, and then end it with something positive and make a story That's sandwich. It. And I feel like us being able to talk to Dave Dichter and Fred Snyder and all these people, Al Pist, of course, from our yep. past, and then to talk to all the new people, like from Brom yep. and Death Valley Girls and all that. That's the people behind us. I feel like we've sandwiched mm-hmm. ourselves in this very musical, warm place where it's we good. have such a great perspective. And that's one of the reasons I'm so grateful to this show. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. All righty. I think we've done our sentimental old man shtick and we are out of here. Yeah. We'll be back right, in a guys. couple weeks with episode 99, our last episode of the decade. You guys should eat it. This is like a, a separate...